Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett in San Diego. And I'm Grant Barrett in San Francisco. Francisco. Now that has a nice ring yeah, to it, Grant. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Why don't you catch everybody up on what you've been doing this summer? I moved 3,000 miles across the country from New York City to San Francisco. Yes. yes. <laughs> we're, we're still not in the same city, I know. I would my- love to be sitting next to you, dear. But you know, there's some language at the bottom of this. You know that my other job is editorial director of wordnick.com, right? That's right. It's an, a new online dictionary that I'm involved with, and all of our team is moving here. Some of us from Chicago, some of us from New York. There's a, a couple of guys who are already out here so we can all be together in one place and and it it's fantastic it's wonderful and of course i've had my ear to the ground for california specific language things or at least things that are different here than they are in new york city then there's, there's tons of stuff yeah, like what are you hearing there are a lot of pacific islanders out here so there's tongans and filipinos and so i'm hearing new languages that i just really never encountered in the stores or on the streets in in new york city and that's you know you think of new york city the whole world is there it, it is i don't hear tagalog spoken you know every day like i could hear oh um, wow. so you're lingering at the grocery and yeah, sidling yeah, up nice. to people at the it's bank nice. and you know the other thing is the spanish here tends to be very mexican Whereas in New York City, it's very Puerto Rican and Dominican, you know? And and that's different. Besides the language being different, it means that the taquerias here are outstanding. (laughs) Better better Mexican food all the way around, which just has nothing to do with the language. I'm just saying, yum. Um, and I had one of these weird experiences where the other thing that I'm noticing here is that the history of Spanish is so deep and so embedded into California. And we've talked about this a couple times in the program, that some of these Spanish place names and some of these family names have had a, a chance to become thoroughly anglicized, right? Right. And so right. we, I went with my father-in-law and, and some other family members and my wife and my son to a restaurant in Pescadero. It was fantastic. And it's owned by a family who spells their name D-U-A-R-T-E-S. But it is not pronounced Duartes. It's, it's not? pronounced Duarts. Oh, interesting. Because they've been here so long that the uh-huh. family's completely lost, like, that, that Spanish pronunciation of the name. It's now just Duarts and not Duartes. In any case, so I'm having a really great time listening to the language out here, um, just learning how to say the place names, which aren't always like you'd think, of course. And we've talked about that on the program, and we'll talk about it again. It's wonderful to be in California. Well, welcome, Grant. We're delighted to have you here. And if you'd like to talk about language, any aspect of it whatsoever, call us at 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAYWORD. Or you can email us. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Judy from um, McFarland, Wisconsin. Hi, Hi, Judy. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? Super duper. Doing well. Well, um, we were kind of working on a um, little project in our town here, and um, we're, we're building a dog park, which is actually opening pretty soon. And we did a... Google search to look for dog park names, and we didn't find much out there. 
So we came up with a few names of our own, but we kind of thought we'd like to toss it out to your listeners and see if they had any ideas for us. Ah. Uh, so is this like the first dog park in your community? This is... it, yes, in our community. We have quite a few in the, we live just outside of Madison, so there are quite a few in the Madison area, but the first one in our town. Well, now, Judy, are you a dog owner, first of all? Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. And what do you have? I have a five-year-old Border Collie. Oh, my gosh. Those dogs are really smart. They can do things like open mm-hmm. refrigerators and, and combination locks and stuff, can't they? He does a lot of things. He does a lot of things my kids never did. He picks up his toys, <laughs> and he comes when I call him. <laughs> he even turns off the lights for me. So oh, sweet. Very smart. <laughs> give me a couple of those. Yeah. <laughs> Can't be harder to raise than a toddler, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> What's his name? His um, first name is Semper, and his middle name is Fidelis. Okay, very ah, nice. Semper Fidelis. And, and what about pet? What do you call him when you're being sweet to him? Simpy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what we call them. <laughs> so, you, so you're building dog run in McFarland, and uh, I should say you say dog park. So there's more than just a run. Are there uh, kind of amusements there? Are there, there, I mean, what are we talking about here? Water course, a sand pit, uh, things to chase. Um, actually, not. It's um kind of on the edge of town, and it's surrounded by farmland and conservancy land. So we've kind of kept it pretty natural looking. We have mm-hmm. some trails and some wooded areas, and. You know, we left some shrubs and stuff in there. So it's mostly just a place for dogs to get together and run off leash. And do the things that dogs do at dog parks. Do the things <laughs> that dogs like to you do, You could yeah. call it Pooh Corner. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> or not. Yeah. We'll put that down on our list. Okay. <laughs> yeah, at the very bottom, hidden under a fold or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So much for my contribution. What else uh, well, do you no. have there? You so, have yeah, a Judy, list? You've got a list, right? You've got some stuff. What do, you, what do you like most? Well, we came up with several ideas. We have the McFarland McDog Park. Okay. And we have Dogplex. 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 Like multiplex? Yeah. yeah, that sounds like several stories high. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and we have McFarland Unleashed. Unleashed. <laughs> that sounds mm-hmm. like an album or something. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then I actually put a um, question down your discussion forum, and I got a few ideas from that as well. Okay. Um, Central Park with an S. Oh, like SC? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, McFurland. 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 Oh, that's okay. And the first McFarland dog park. First McFarland. That like, sounds like a bank almost. Or a Baptist <laughs> church. Right. Yeah. I like that. People that didn't want the dog park might think we're going to have a second McFarland dog park. <laughs> oh, that'd be great just to get their goat, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you, what, do you think the punny names might grow a little stale fast? I think so. Yeah, that's a really good question. What is it about dogs and cats that bring out the punster in people? I mean, if you look through the phone book for for dog and cat services, there's some gosh awful names. Yes, I think it's I think it's I think it's because we we treat our animals with such joy, right? We have a, a very close connection to them, and they are they're highly amusing. They do crazy antics, and we think about the fun times with them rather than the you know the four a.m. walk because they need to poop. Yeah, yeah, but I think you have a good point, Grant. That how long is that pun? going to be funny. I, I, I mean, yeah, I kind of like McFerland. I do too, but I would, I would kind of stray from it. Well, let me ask stray. you, Judy, did you, consider, did you consider just opening it up without a name and see what kind of naturally occurs? 
Um, yes, actually, the park opens pretty soon, so it doesn't have a name. We just call it the McFarland Dog Park. Well, we can certainly throw this out to our listeners and see what they come up with. I'm sure a lot of people have had experience dealing with this kind of thing. Absolutely. Here's the pitch. The pitch is, what should McFarland call its first dog park? Thank you so much for calling, Judy. We'll put this out to our listeners and see what we come up with, all right? Great. Thank okay. you. Thanks. Thank Bye-bye. You. Goodbye. Well, if you have an idea for the McFarland Dog Park, a name that you particularly like, um, or some other idea about about how to go about naming the park, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or shoot us an email to words at waywardradio.org, and we'll talk about them in a future show. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Elliot. I'm calling from San Diego, California. Elliot, welcome. Thank you, thank you. Um, I, I have a question for you guys. I was actually in the car with my girlfriend uh, a few weeks ago, and she's originally Colombian, and so she often likes to ask me about uh, questions about English vocabulary, grammar, and all that kind of stuff. And we heard the term skid row mentioned on a radio show, and she turned to me and asked me what it meant, and I realized that I actually had no idea at all, and I was wondering if you could help me figure that out. This is an easy one, fortunately, so so get your pen, all right? Skid row, S-K-I-D-R-O-W means, uh, well, what do you use it to mean? Somebody's on Skid Row, they're down and out. They're penniless and poor and probably without a job, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Skid Row is kind of like the vague other place where you say people live when they're down and out or or their fortunes have fallen. All right. Right. So it's a bad area of town kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. But it's, it's usually not a specific area, although it started out that way. Skid Row comes from Skid Road, R O A D. And a skid road is a, it's not really a road, more like tracks almost. Like a road will do. It's a road that you drag logs down. It's something, it's a part of like timber cutting. You cut down the timber, you, you cut off the branches, and then you drag them down this road to the sawmill or to the river or wherever they need to go. And uh, here's, a, here's a description I found. It's a long stretch of mud, water, timbers, and treacherous wire cables. And so it looks kind of like railroad tracks, but instead of metal rails across the top, it's wood. And there are these horizontal ties where there's a little bit of a depression cut in them, and the logs just kind of like drag right down the middle of all of these other logs on their way to the the sawmill or the way to the river. And as you can imagine, this is not a happy place. It's noisy and it's dirty and it's not a place you want to live. But unfortunately, in the old days, whatever vague period that might be, loggers <laughs> tended to live and play there near these skid roads because that's where the work was. You know, that's where their jobs had them. Had them. Um, so that was probably where their entertainment was as well, right? Sure, yeah. There are probably all kinds <laughs> of um, uh, brothel, yeah, body houses ah. and all kinds of strange stuff along the way and, and all, the, all the things that go with um, rough working environments and lots of men. The earliest use we have, of course, of this transformation is from the early 1920s although by the late 1920s it's defined in a collection of slang as the lowest strata of the underworld. So it had moved within the decade of the 1920s from being specifically another way to say skid road to being a way to refer to the class of people that might live there. Wow. Okay, so definitely a place we don't want to end up. (laughs) No, (laughs) no you don't. (laughs) And by the way, it probably came out of Seattle first. With the logging oh, community. Oh, okay. There. All right. Well, now I have very in-depth notes, so right. I, I think you may have <laughs> saved me here. Thank you guys so much for your help. 
Thank you so much, sir. All right. Yeah, Thanks thank for calling. You. All right. Bye bye. Well, if you are trying to translate the world for your uh, boyfriend or girlfriend, husband, wife who is from another country and learning the language, you probably have a story like that as well. So give us a call. The number is 1 or send an email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. email recently from Jeff in Philly who wrote to ask if we had ever heard of the Yiddish palindrome about uh, Napoleon. You know, you know the one that goes, Abel I was, Ere I saw Elba? Sure, yeah. That's one of the most famous ones, right? Right, right. But here's the Yiddish version. It goes, Unable I was, Ere I saw Elba. No. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> well, we welcome your palindrome. Send them along to words at waywardradio.org or leave them on our discussion forum at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Get ready to test your mental metal with a word puzzle. That's next on Away With Words. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and across from me is the handsome, the one and the only, John Chinesky, our quiz guy. Hooray, it's me. Hi, guys. Hi, Hi John. Grant. Hi, Martha. How are you are guys you? familiar with the book The Phantom Tollbooth by Norton Juster? Uh, vaguely. Yeah. Milo is the character in That's there. right. Milo right. is the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an excellent, excellent classic book with a lot of wordplay in it. Uh, one of the elements of the book is a feud between the kingdom of letters and the kingdom of numbers. Okay. Now, I decided we should always keep the two as close as possible, so I've constructed a puzzle about the words of numbers. What do you think? Okay, let's try it. Words of numbers, okay? Almost all of the answers to this are uh, a number or a word that has something to do with numbers. For example, the clubhouse on a golf course is commonly referred to as what hole? 19th. That's right, 19th. The number, the the ordinal number, 19th. Very good. Okay. So let's try a few more of these, okay? All right. Now, in the 1970s, this phrase, which has come to symbolize an untold number was first associated with a prominent astronomer who never actually said the phrase in his popular PBS series. Billions Co- and billions. Trillions right. and trillions or billions and billions? Billions, billions and, bi- and billions. Billions, billions and billions. Sagan. Carl Sagan. On Cosmos. He never right. actually said he it. Never the closest, said that. Huh. Well, the closest he actually came to saying it was in chapter one of his book, Cosmos, where he referred to billions upon billions of stars. Ah. So, here's another one. What mathematical operation... Sounds like what your car gets on a somewhat slippery road. Not a skid. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, uh, subtraction. Subtraction. Very good. Less subtraction. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, Little bit John. of wordplay there. Oh, Sorry. John. It's a groaner. Here's the next one. Now, if I'm writing out the numbers, starting from zero, mm-hmm. what three numbers in a row require six E's and no other vowels? If you're writing the numbers out? Yeah. 10, 11, 12. 10, 11, 12 Whoa, is correct. Nice work, done. Grant. All right, good. This is one for the game players out there. What is the lowest number whose name forms a valid Scrabble entry when reversed? The lowest number? Yeah. 
Um, okay, so that wouldn't be two. Eno? Eno? Eno, no. Eno is not, uh, hmm. doesn't work. And two wouldn't uh, work. Out. Oh. <laughs> no. It's an f- alternate spelling of ought. Oof. Uh, five is. <laughs> wow, it's. Six. Net. Ten? Oh, Ten six. It's six because it's Kai plural. Ah, That's right. Kai. Really? X-I-S. Very good. Six. I like it. Slowly had to work our way through the numbers. Very good. It was it was fun watching you yeah, <laughs> smelling the right smoke <laughs> as your brain was working. I went something's right past working. Six. Yeah. That's right. Okay, here's another one. Century, decade. These are common. How long is a lustrum? Ooh. Um, oh. That's the the length between um, when the sun goes down and it's too dark to read. <laughs> <laughs> Right? <laughs> From now on, I will, I will use that. As, is as, it a thousand years? No, it's not a thousand years. A lustrum. A lustrum is, a lustrum is uh, how long it takes for somebody's good deeds to be forgotten. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll give you oh, this, this, this hint may or may not work. Uh, this, it's Latin for purification. The Romans would hold right. a purifi- purification ceremony after every census, which they held every... Um. Oh, seven uh, they held years. Their... No, huh? it was a little longer than that, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a little shorter than that. Oh, was it? Yeah, six years. Four. Even shorter. Five. Five, five is correct. A lustrum is five years. I have another made-up <laughs> definition for lustrum. What's that? What do you That's got? the period in American history uh, during which a man could wear brill cream in his hair and nobody would laugh. That's that's perfectly <laughs> good. Does Vaseline? Uh, does, uh, uh, I used to wear my hair. Oh, that stuff. I can't remember. Um, Grecian formula. Oh, there's <laughs> no, something about an aqua velva man. Oh. <laughs> my grandfather used high karate products exclusively. High karate? Oh, yeah. Here's another one. What movie might be called The Magnificent Heptad? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what I was thinking when I was thinking of yeah. Seven. Yeah. The Magnificent Seven. The Magnificent Seven. Based on the Seven Samurai, right. Very good, yeah. yeah. I'm saying if you really want to annoy your friends, <laughs> just keep wondering, oh, you mean the Magnificent Heptad? <laughs> and they'll say, that guy that we never invite to parties anymore. <laughs> Here's another one. I'm sorry, John. I meant to invite you. It's okay. I know. It gets lost in the mail. <laughs> The symbol known as a hexagram is more commonly referred to as what? Uh, so hex That's is six. six, right? Right. So what's um, the symbol? Star of David. A star of David is right, Grant. Ah. Very good. It's got a hexagon in the middle of it, and it's a stellated hexagon. Oh, nice. Uh, now this is hot chat. Come on. <laughs> Between that and lustrum, I'm just, yeah. If Go you ahead. thought that was hot, I think you'll like this one. Okay. In Antony and Cleopatra, Shakespeare writes, The death of Antony is not a single doom. In the name lay a moiety of the world. A moiety means divided by what number? Well, a moiety in French is two? a half. Yeah, two. Oh, so it's two parts. Two is correct. Very yeah. good. That's good. So one half. A moiety is one half. Very moitié, good. Moitié. John, this was good fun as always. It's, I love how these are portable, that we can take these games away and, and do them somewhere else. Yeah, and I hope you will. <laughs> take, them, take them go. Get them take, out of my house. Take her away, please. <laughs> well, anyway, thanks for coming, John. It's good fun. Thanks, Grant. Thanks, Martha. Take thanks, care. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. Bye. If you want to talk to us about words, language, grammar, pronunciation, a dispute you had over the right way to say something or to put something in print, give us a call, one 929 Send us an email to words at waywardradio.org or find out more about the program at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi. 
This is Corinne from San Diego. Hi, Corinne. Welcome. Hi, Corinne. Thank you. What's going on? Well, I've had a question for a while. I was wondering about the origin of the word beta. We use it in rock climbing to refer to any information you receive about a route prior to climbing the route. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if it had any association to information people receive about software products when they have beta versions of software. Hmm. Well, now tell us how you'd use that in a sentence. Well, one thing is when you're on the route, you could scream to someone, please give me beta <laughs> oh, really? when you're in trouble. Or people, before they ascend the route, if they want to do it um, perfectly, they say, I would rather not have any beta. I want to... Um, I want to on-site this route, which means you do it without any information, mm-hmm. all on your own, using just your guts and your glory. So, so beta is kind of a synonym for information, right? Yes. And that's B-E-T-A. Correct. And it's used as a mass noun, so you don't say, don't give me a beta, you say give me some beta. You can say any beta, some beta. You wouldn't say the beta. So you're speculating that it might have something to do with beta software, which is software that's kind of unfinished but ready to be used and tested. Right. When they gather information about it and then make the product better. I don't think that it is. I don't think that it's connected, and and here's why. I did an entry for this a few years ago on my uh, Double Tongue Dictionary website. And in digging into this, I turned up an article by Neil Cannon that was in Climbing Magazine in 1985. And it's kind of a jokey article, I believe, where he uses Betamax to refer to the information that people get about a trail or a specific ascent. And what it turns out is that this article was very influential to refer to people who will do things like videotape the route, like stand on the ground and zoom in with a beta camera to videotape all the different places where you might put your foot or your hand or your or your 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 bolt or whatever you're doing. Uh, to go into, Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, there's definitely... There definitely has been over the years a, a, some derogatory kind of um, subtext to the use of the term beta, but it comes directly from the word Betamax, which is a, a video format that's not used by anyone anymore right. except for <laughs> professional video editors. It's not something you'll find in the house anymore, but you will find beta is very common still in professional video. That's the story. It's, it's a pretty solid, let's say 90% solid etymology for that word. Wow. Thank you. How interesting. Now I know. I'm going to pull that out of the crag and let people know. Pull it out of the crag. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> Wait a minute. Fill me in. What does that mean, pull it out of the crag? The crag just means any um, place where there are rocks that you would climb. It's just referred to as the crag. So when you pull something out of the crag, you're just talking about it when you're there. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So people, um, let's go back to beta a second, though. People use beta. There's, there's not really a pejorative sense or derogatory sense about it right now, right? It's It's... Well, it depends on your style of climbing. Some people okay. think any beta that they people use is just terrible and sullies the whole idea of rock climbing. Right. Most people, though, love beta and don't mind if they, you know, receive a little bit of information. But those hardcore people, even if they read the um, route description in a climbing guide, mm-hmm. they'll consider that beta, and that's illegal. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your call, Corinne. I hope we've been some help with the answer to oh, beta. Oh, it's been great. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. How Super do you say good. happy climbing, or, or how, do, how do climbers take their leave of each other? Um, generally, they just say goodbye. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye, <Boy>. then. <laughs> well, Take that care of yourself, too. Corinne. <laughs> Bye. Right. Check Bye. your thank ropes. You. <laughs>
Well, if you've got a question about some inside language for the hobby that you follow, give us a call if you want to tell us about it or ask about it, one 929 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hello, my name is Brett from Arcadia, Indiana. Hi, Brett. Welcome. Hello, Brett. Thank you. Well, my question is, my great-grandfather, he passed away in 2002, but I was thinking the other day during one of your shows about something he used to say. Instead of saying goodbye or see you later, he would always say, don't leave your end gate up. And no one really ever knew what that meant, and obviously I can't ask him now. And so when I heard you guys talking about that the other day, um, just things our grandparents would say that we didn't understand, I thought I'd give you guys a call. Don't leave your end gate up? Yes, correct. End gate, like E-N-D-G-A-T-E. Yes. Brett, do you have any idea what he might have meant? Well, there are a few theories that I've kind of come up with. Uh, The first is, like on a pickup truck, you have the gate on the back, and if you're driving, that can kind of catch wind and keep you from going as quickly as you possibly can, and so it's kind of a drag to have that up. Mm. That was one thought I maybe had. Another one is kind of in a different direction, Uh, kind of like oh, people used to wear one-piece kind of pajamas that had, um, uh, like, a gate on the back that if you had to use a restroom, you'd open it up and use the restroom. And you wanted to make sure that you did not leave that up uh, when you used the restroom at night. <laughs> but, but I'm or not the sure. outhouse. Well, the yeah. other way, you, you don't want to yeah. leave it down when you leave the restroom, right? You, you, don't want, your, yeah. you, don't you want your end gate in the right place at the right yeah. time. Exactly. <laughs> and so I had no idea what that meant, but I thought you guys might be able to figure it out. Boy, those are both good theories. I have no idea. Tell us a little bit more about your, your great-grandfather. What did he do? Well, he was a farmer, and so there could be reference to Gates, like he was a cattle farmer. Uh, when he was, I want to say, 36 or 40, he bought his own farm uh, just, just north of Huntington, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And my grandparents, they kind of lived on that farm and raised my grandfather, and my mom even grew up on that cattle farm. And just within the last, I would say, 10, 15 years or so, they ended up selling the farm. But he was pretty much a farmer his entire life and a real simple guy. You know, I have an idea for you. I was looking for what you said. I was looking for the fact that he might have been a farmer because there's a type of wagon or truck in these days, but a wagon where the gate in the back doesn't fold down like the tailgate on a pickup, but it pulls up. And these are usually grain trucks for, for corn and stuff and sometimes for cattle as well. And what this allows you to do is to back the truck up to, say, to to some kind of bin or some kind of, like, chute or something else to let the grain out or the cattle out. And what you do is you just pull the rope or pull the pulley, and the gate flies up, and then the cattle go. So there's nothing to swing to the side, and there's no chance of the grain or the cattle getting away. And so, yeah. um, and so the thing is, if you're hauling animals or you're hauling grain, you do not want to leave that gate up. So <laughs> the, the, the advice of don't leave your end gate up would be pretty good advice for a farmer who could see his livelihood spread out on the road, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's that's my theory there. I if you Google if you Google that, go to images.google.com and Google end gate is one word, you're gonna see some mm-hmm. pictures of some wagons and some trucks that have gates exactly like that. And you may see something that looks familiar to you. Yeah, I mean I know exactly what you're talking about because we used to use those types of wagons. There we go. Yeah, those, ah. and those are those are called end gates, and a, vari- a wide variety of gates are called end gates, and sometimes it's just the gate on the end. But there's some specific technical uses as well. Well, he sounds like he was a great guy. He really was. I was really fortunate to get to know him. Um, you usually don't get to know your great grandparents that long, but he right. was a great guy, and I was glad to to talk with him. 
Yeah. All right. Well, I hope I helped you some, Brett. You did. You solved a family mystery, and I appreciate that. <laughs> well, best of luck to you, Brett. Thanks for calling today. Okay. Bye-bye. Time, I appreciate it. Bye. If you've got something that Grandma and Grandpa used to say that you're not quite sure what it means or where it comes from, by all means, give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Wendy Hawkins in Aloha, Oregon. Well, what's up? Well, I was just typing an email to somebody, and I started to say something about, are you just shining me on? And I suddenly hesitated and thought, I don't know why that means what it means. And I know that the word shine can sometimes be problematic, whether rightfully so, whether it earned the reputation or whether it's actually used in a way that wasn't originally offensive, but maybe it is today. So I'd, I'd like to know where it comes from, how it means what it means, and whether I should use it. Hmm. What was the context of the email? Oh, just, you know, somebody uh, proposing something that seemed a little bit bogus to me or uh, something that I might also say, are you just blowing smoke up my skirt? Which, again, is one that I might hesitate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'd hesitate about that one a little more. <laughs> and so you're, you're worried that this might be offensive how? Well, I know uh, being married to a North Carolina man that the, the word shine uh, was, in the past at least, used sometimes in offensive ways racially. And right. if this has any, if, if this smacks of still, any of that, I wouldn't want to use it. Right. Unfortunately, it's still currently used that way. Yeah, shine is an offensive term for a black person. Yes, indeed. Um, that's to be avoided, but fortunately for you, it's different from sh- to shine someone on. It's a completely different word, different context. And in fact, to shine someone on or to shine someone up or just to shine someone actually is recorded most often in the language of black Americans. So it's not it's not something that they've used racially to apply to themselves at all. So you're, you're safe oh, really? with that. Yeah. And it's good that the meaning that you were using it uh, to kind of bluff or delude or fool or to trick is that's the pretty much the most common meaning today. But there are a number of meanings to shine someone on because, you know, like a lot of slang, it's variable and it's not incredibly fixed in the language. Um, you can, can use it to mean to ignore to ignore really? someone is to shine them on. Yeah. Huh. How did it get to mean these things? This is uh, origin unknown. Oh, and, I hate uh, when you tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Wendy, let me tell I you. I know what you mean. Here's the strongest lead that I have, and I think it's very solid, and I think it's something we can probably believe in and say that no more work is required, okay? But okay. still, I'm not going to claim this is definitive. There's a an expression to shine up to someone that's it, it, much older, from the mid-1800s, whereas to shine someone on is from like the 1960s or so. And to shine up to someone is to ingratiate yourself to them, uh, particularly if you're doing it in an insincere way. And it, because it's older and because it has a, a vague resemblance to the modern to, to shine someone on, I think that there's probably a connection there. And they probably both go back to the action of smiling. It sounds a little bit like apple polishing or kissing up or... Well, yeah, yeah, it's being deceptive like, but, but in both if cases. If you smile, you can be said to shine. You shine, you have a smile shine, and, and you put on this false, happy face while you're blowing smoke, as you put it, <laughs> right? Right, so it's the idea of falseness in both yeah, cases. Yeah, and I think I, I think the key here is you are literally, your, fa- your face is literally shining with the smile while you're telling the lie or, or you're bluffing somebody. Um it's particularly used when you're acting as if everything is great, even when it's not. Yeah. Well, in any case, you're on solid ground, and so use it in good health. 
All right. Thank you so much for your call, Wendy. <laughs> yeah, I hope you got your money's worth. <laughs> Absolutely. A pleasure right. talking to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, if there's something you've got on the tip of your tongue or the tip of your pen and you're not sure that you should use it or say it, we're the people to ask. The number to call is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. That's one eight seven seven wayward Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Straight ahead, more questions, more answers, more of your thoughts about language. That's next on Away With Words. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. I've been intrigued to read the names of some of the homeless encampments in the United States. They seem to be grim places where people who lack jobs and money gather because they have nowhere else to go. But I'm struck how often those places have hopeful names, positive names. For example, in St. Petersburg in Florida, there's a place called Pinellas Hope. It's named after Pinellas Bay, I believe. Hmm. And there's Hope City in Providence, Rhode Island. These are both places where people have gathered together in public parks or public land of some sort, sometimes in church parking lots, in order to build a small community of homeless people with tents or whatever kind of shelter they can build for themselves. There's there's more. Safe Haven in Champaign, Illinois, and River Haven in, uh, near Ventura, California. Even a place called... Umoja Village in Miami. Umoja means unity in Swahili. And so I think they've intentionally given these place names so that it's not, uh, you know, it's not Dirtville, you know, it's not something really ugly. Yeah, or Hooverville, which was so snarly, you know, blaming it on the president. Well, you know, there is one shantytown name that I found that is kind of modeled after Hooverville, and that is Nicholsville. It's the name of the Seattle homeless encampment. It's named for Mayor Greg Nichols of oh, Seattle. Oh, really? Yeah. And I don't know if I'd be flattered if I was him. I, I don't think it's meant in a flattering way. Um, but the most common name generally is Tent City, sometimes even capitalized by the local newspapers. You know, it is not a Tent City. It's like the Tent City. It's uh-huh. a formal name. There are just a couple that have some humor in them. There are two others that um, have existed in Providence, Rhode Island. One of them is Camp Runamuck, and the other one is Camp Runamuck Two. So, oh no! Oh yeah. Not and uh, and I and I guess I should mention that this kind of naming of these temporary towns is perfectly ordinary. The the military does this when they create a tent city in Afghanistan or Iraq. Um, anytime there are immigrant populations due to disasters, or or even during the Hajj, the massive numbers of people going to Mecca, a lot of times they'll give their temporary communities uh, a name. And one here worth mentioning is in Calais, France, there is a an encampment of illegal immigrants, and it's called the jungle because it is an incredibly rough place where all of these people are trying to climb aboard trucks surreptitiously so that they can go, say, through the channel and make it into the U.K. or to go somewhere else where there might be work. Well, Grant, I never would have thought about this kind of thing, but it's it's fascinating. It's it reminds me of those old photographs from the WPA, you know, that were so grim but also kind of beautiful. If you know of the name of your local tent city or shanty town, we'd be interested in finding out about it. The number to call is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org.
have a way with words. Hi, this is Jill. I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hi, Jill. How you doing? Good. Um, I have a question. I grew up in Pittsburgh, and when we were growing up, we always used to say things like, the car needs washed and the kids need picked up. And then after my siblings and I went away to college, we learned that this is not the correct thing to be saying, and it should be the car needs to be washed and the, car, the kids need to be picked up. And we're all wondering why this is the correct way to say it. Mm-hmm. So, Jill, you have a question that needs answered. I do, indeed. Uh-huh. It's something that's been bugging us for a long time. Where did you go to college? Uh, in Pennsylvania. It, um, and we all went to college in Pennsylvania. Okay. So. okay. okay. What part of Pennsylvania? Uh, Central Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. All right. So you got there and, and people weren't saying it that way. Right. And we were corrected. You were corrected just casually. It wasn't something that happened in the classroom? No, not in the classroom, just casually. Well, Jill, there are three things to say about this uh, construction. Number one is that it's a normal part of Scott's grammar. In Scotland, you'll, you'll hear this kind of construction. And what's really cool is that if you look at the maps of where this is heard in this country... Uh-huh. It pretty much mirrors the Scots-Irish migration patterns in the 17th and 18th century in the uh-huh. area that, where you live and uh, going on west through Ohio and Indiana and parts of Illinois and, and also down the Appalachians and into the Ozarks. So it very closely mirrors that Scots-Irish migration pattern and is kind of an echo of the way that those folks talked and another thing that's really cool about this construction, so so what I'm saying is that I wouldn't say it's wrong. Would you, Grant? Uh-huh. I wouldn't know. I would not say it's wrong. Absolutely not. Yeah. And the other thing that's really interesting about this particular construction is that it's what we call sociolinguistically transparent. That is, it's not really associated with a particular class or a particular gender. You'll hear it in rural areas and you'll hear it in urban areas as well. And the other thing that's really striking about this is that usually folks who use it are totally unaware that they're using it, like like you. Right. Yeah, I didn't know. And, you know, when I went to, I was hanging out with some friends this weekend, and I posed this question to them. And when I said the car needs washed, they all kind of cringed <laughs> that they, they thought this was a terrible thing to say. Oh, really? To sounds, yeah, to me it sounds perfectly normal. Right, it sounds perfectly mm-hmm. normal. And when I said earlier, this is a question that needs answered, you said, yep, uh-huh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even notice it. Uh huh. Exactly. Exactly. This is a perfect example. Well, Uh so so the thing that I would say to you is that it's not the dominant way of saying that kind of thing, but I would say it's perfectly legitimate. Although some people will kind of cringe. Uh huh. That you don't think I could slip it into academic writing? (laughs) I probably want to get by the editors. That's a really good uh, question. I I would say that it's not. It's not formal English. It's not uh-huh. bad English, but it's not formal English. And if you were trying to get an argument across, you might try to avoid it so people weren't distracted by your okay. dialect usage. Right. So, Jill, just think of yourself as bilingual, you know? I mean, you, right. can, you can kind of go back and forth. You can code switch. Right. I can be Pittsburghese. I could speak Pittsburghese, and then I could speak standard English. Yeah. In other words, you know more than those people who are cringing. So I say right. go ahead and use it, but right, maybe not great. in the academic papers. Great. My sisters will be very glad to hear this. All right. Thanks thanks for for calling, Joe. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There's a lot of work to be done in this country to fix the idea that dialect pronunciations or dialect usages are something to be stomped out. 
I agree with you, Grant. And and in this one in particular, the first time I heard it, I I admit I did a double take because I did not grow up talking that way. But now I find it kind of endearing. You know, it's kind of just like a little thing that I recognize when people say. And and I often ask them if they're from the Pittsburgh area or or around there. Cool. Well, if you've got a question about dialect pronunciations or something that somebody told you that you shouldn't say, you should give us a call at one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, and we'll tell you whether or not they're right. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Evan from Dallas, Texas. Well, welcome to the program, Evan. What's on your mind today? Well, I had a question about the word decimate, because I had always thought that it had a connotation with one-tenth, to, like the, to destroy one-tenth, but... I keep hearing it meaning to destroy completely or to obliterate. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could help me with that. I think we can help you with this. This is a fairly common question, isn't it, Martha? Yes, it is. And you're you're right. You see that uh, Latin root for the word ten, don't you? In decimate, in decimal, in the name December as well, which was the tenth month of the Roman calendar. And I suppose, Evan, that you're thinking back to the grisly etymology of this word, right? Right. And which was what? Well, it was back to the Romans, I believe, Mm -hmm. and it was to eliminate one in ten men of an army. Right, right. If soldiers mutinied, the policy was that the generals would just line up the soldiers and they'd draw lots and they'd just kill one in ten, every tenth guy. It was a really horrible, horrible practice. And so that's where we get the word decimate. There was a related Latin word like that. However... That word has changed over the centuries. From We're not the... doing that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, by the mid-17th century, we see the word decimate used to mean imposing a 10% tax. And, and certainly by the 18th or early 19th century, it was a more generalized term. It didn't have that literal meaning. And that's that's what we often see with etymologies, that words will travel from their original grisly, creepy meaning to something that's more general. And although for people like you and me, Evan, it's really fascinating to know the roots of that icky word, you know, words have a life of their own. And now people use it to mean to destroy a large portion of something. And I don't think that we should be sticklers about that at all. All right. You did mention something about utterly wipe out or utterly destroy, that you're bothered when you hear the word decimate used that way? Yeah. I, like, I remember seeing a news broadcast several years ago about a building being torn down, and I remember distinctly the reporter saying that the building was decimated when it was just completely leveled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I think I think your discomfort with that is absolutely legitimate. Wouldn't you agree? Right. I would, yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a that's a, a misuse of the word decimate. Because yeah. it doesn't mean right. to completely destroy. Another way that people tend to misuse it and, and probably the only way that I have a problem with it is when they they use this very powerful word to describe something that is not very significant. They'll say, I was decimated by Thanksgiving dinner last night. <laughs> you know, I was so full. I'm like, no, you weren't really decimated by it. You, you maybe you were made drowsy or something, but it didn't, it didn't kill you. 
Right, right. I think um, the idea of utterly destroying something or wiping something out is not appropriate when you're using no. decimate. But if you were to say something like um, the the events of last year decimated his 401k, I, I would think that that would be legitimate. Yeah, I would agree, you know, to destroy the better part of or to, to, to cause a great loss, yeah. Yeah, so I think the bottom line here is that a lot of times we may know the etymology of a word, but language happens, <laughs> you know, well, Lang- you can't, language you changes. Can't, you can't take all words back to their etymological roots and say somehow that that is the one and true meaning of a word, right, Evan? I mean, you, yeah. otherwise we wouldn't be speaking this form of English. We'd be speaking something else. The language would be dramatically different if that were the case. The etymology doesn't win when it comes to defining words. But it's still cool to know, right, Evan? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for an interesting call. Well, thank you. Okay. Thank you, Evan. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, if you've got a question about language, words, words origins, spelling, pronunciation, something somebody said that you didn't understand, by all means, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. <laughs> The other day I discovered a Facebook group called People for a Library-Themed Ben & Jerry's Flavor. Have you seen this, Grant? What are they after? I don't understand. They want Ben & Jerry's in the library? No, 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 no. Their premise is that libraries are awesome, Ben & Jerry's yeah. ice cream is tasty, and yeah. therefore there should be a library-themed Ben & Jerry's ice cream. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're all throwing out suggestions and trying to put peer pressure on Ben and Jerry to come up with a library-themed ice cream. For example, how about gooey decimal system? <laughs> That's dark fudge alphabet letters with caramel swirls in hazelnut ice cream. Or how about this one, Rocky Reed? Oh, uh, Reed? Okay. What's Reed? Like Rocky Road, vanilla uh, with chocolate-covered no. nuts, chocolate chunks, and raisins. Oh, uh, okay. And I was thinking maybe we could start our own Facebook group of grammar-themed ice cream. Uh, and I bet you have some suggestions. Well, all I can think <laughs> of so far is banana split infinitive, but um, <laughs> maybe our listeners have suggestions. <laughs> if you have a library-themed ice cream name or a grammar-themed ice cream name, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, my name is Libby, and I'm calling from North Freedom, Wisconsin. Uh, hi. How you doing, Libby? Welcome to the show. Thanks. Um, my mom and I have been arguing about the word bagel, and she thinks that the only way to say it is bagel, and I believe that it can also be pronounced bagel. And my family laughs at me whenever I say that, and no one else I've asked has ever heard bagel. Did I just make that up, or is it actually pronounced that way? Let me ask you, where do you think you picked it up from? I don't really know where... I just asked my family, like, I want a bagel one day, and they laughed at me. And do your your friends say it that way? Um, I don't think so. Is is somebody else there that we can talk to in your family so we can hear how they say it? Yeah, my mom's here. Hi, my name's Janet. Hi, Hi Janet. Janet. Welcome to the program. Thanks. So the word is B-A-G-E-L. How do you right. say it? It's a lox and bagel. Lox and bagel. Yeah. You know, I, we put the, I guess the... I par- pronounce it like uh, by the bay, and she's pronouncing it like bag lady kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Bag lady. 
Hmm. You know, like B-A-G, like a bag, you would hold a grocery sack or something like that, and I'm pronouncing it B-A-Y-G-E-L kind of thing. And um, we don't know where she got it, but we just kind of chuckle and look at her like, what are you talking about when <laughs> she says that? So do you give her one when she asks for oh, one? Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> okay, okay. So I think I hear something happening here, Martha. I, I, I think hear I, it. I think I hear a vowel shift taking place, and... Libby, it's entirely possible that if you were to quiz... How old are you, Libby? I'm 14. If you were to quiz most of your friends who are within a year or two of your age, I bet you'd find a number who pronounce it the same way you do. Okay. There's a there's something happening in that part of the country uh, called a vowel shift, and, and it's not quite going this way, but it's where a word like bag, and actually, Janet, I heard it in your voice, mm-hmm. counts out a little more like bag. Mm-hmm. And so there's some other there are some other things happening there with vowels as well, um, particularly where long a sounds can do other things. They become um, well, the linguists and the phoneticians would say it's being lowered and backed. Uh, it, um, it's, it's being performed. That vowel is being performed in a different part of the mouth. And so I, I you will find numerous places online where people are disputing the pronunciation of this word because there is a part of the country that does does not say bagel. Okay. <laughs> they say bagel. So I've and it's not bagel, it. like an exaggerated <laughs> ah, but it's yeah. bagel. Well, Grant, are you saying that, that this is a trend that, that more and more young people are going to be saying it this it, way? And I think, you're, I think the, there's, there's some limited evidence that seems to show that, this, this, that the, uh, these vowel changes are happening more in the language of young people uh, whose language is more fluid in general. Uh, and it's kind of more fixed in the, the older set. That's really interesting. So, Libby, you're on the cutting edge. Wow. <laughs> but that's Congratulations. Not say, that's not to say that, I mean, having, you know, having grown up, obviously, in a, in a family myself, that you're fair game for being made fun of. You realize that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, matter, no matter if we're validating your pronunciation or not, it's fair game for, for, for a little bit of teasing. Just as long as you get your bagel at the end, though. Yeah. yeah. Well, Libby, do you feel better now? Yeah. I would if I were you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't right. sound convinced. Well, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. We're glad to, glad to help out here. The 14-year-olds of the world will one day inherit it. So. Okay. I'll put up with it then. <laughs> thank you, Janet. Thank I don't you, think Libby. you have a choice, Janet. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. Thank right. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, if you're having a family dispute about a word, give us a call. The number's 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAYWORD, W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Or you can send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Things have come to a pretty That's our show for this week. If you didn't get on the air today, you can leave us a message anytime at 1-877-929-9673. Or email your questions to words at waywardradio.org. And if you just can't wait, chat about it online with fellow word lovers. Go to waywardradio.org slash discussion. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. Tim also engineered our theme music. Kurt Conan produced it. We've had production help this week from Josette Herdell and Jennifer Powell. And thanks to engineer Howard Gelman and KQED Radio in San Francisco. From Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And from San Francisco, I'm Grant Barrett. Ciao luego. Arrivederci. Neither, Let's call the whole thing off. Before we go, I want to tell you that Away With Words is independently produced and distributed. 
That means we depend on you to help pay for the cost of producing the show. So consider making a contribution to help this program keep going strong. Just go to waywardradio.org slash donate. And thanks. But oh, if we call the whole thing off, then we must part. Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words. Your feedback is crucial. It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's gum.fm slash words. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.